Hello there and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Thursday, January 19th, 2023. I'm Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders. Mike Tanier joins me as always. And here for our big NFL divisional round preview, our guest today is Kevin Cole. Now, Kevin, you may remember from Roto Grinders and a long time at Pro Football Focus, and he is now out on his own with his podcast and Substack called Unexpected Points. So you can find him at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Before we get into Kevin, I have to apologize that I totally forgot that we were also going to do JP Acosta because he was going to show up in a Jaguars apron and shepherd. And I totally blanked on it. So we promise, we promise that if the Jaguars upset the Chiefs, we will absolutely have J.P. Acosta here next week in his Jaguars regalia to regale he, on the tales of the Jaguars. Whether he agrees to it or not. Whether he whether agrees, he agrees to it or not, we'll drag That's him it. kicking and streaming, <laughs> streaming onto the show. The reason I wanted to have Kevin on the show is, for those who don't follow Kevin, and you should definitely follow Kevin on Twitter, where he's Kevin Cole and then three. Yeah, I know. I know. It's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing number of underscores. I apologize for that. Um, One of the things that Kevin's been working on is a new quarterback efficiency stat, which starts with expected points added and then tries to adjust for a lot of different things. Um, I mean, you can run them all down, but it includes strength of opponent. It includes scheme and how often you play action because play action is easier It includes how good your receivers are based on those uh, new ESPN receiver rankings. It includes drops and uh, interceptable passes that you you don't get intercepted. I'm probably missing a few things here. And it has some interesting results which apply to the divisional round. And the most interesting, I think, and the reason we're actually going to go out of order, is we're going to start by talking about the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles. Because Kevin's system loves Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones came out fourth in total value this year behind only Mahomes, Allen, and Trevor Lawrence. Wow. So tell us about Daniel Jones and your system and where the adjustments are and what is going on with this guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he has the highest total positive adjustment on this. But I will say that For unadjusted, we just go to unadjusted numbers. Let's forget about all this crazy math and trickery that's going on here in my adjustments. He's 11th in per play efficiency, even if you don't adjust anything so far this season. If you just look at players who have at least 400 uh, dropbacks so far this year. So it's not, you know, it's not super different than what you would see otherwise, but he does get benefits from his receivers being a little bit worse, according to the ESPN open scores. And we shouldn't be surprised by that, despite the fact actually Darius Slayton looks okay uh, so far this year. He gets a big adjustment in drops, having one of the higher uh, drop rates for his receivers so far this year. He gets a slight adjustment up for his offensive line, which is improved over what we've seen in previous seasons. And then other than that, really what he benefits from when it comes to these top quarterbacks is a lot of those guys are being driven down by having good surroundings near them. So so he moves up some, and that's what pushes him up above guys like Dak Prescott or Jalen Hurts or Joe Burrow, which I think we're going to talk about later. Those sorts of guys who have a higher efficiency on a per play when you don't make those adjustments. Yeah, I'll say the, the Giants have a top 10 pass offense by DVOA. So DVOA agrees with the basic EPA numbers, and that doesn't even account for Jones's rushing. And we know that Jones is a really good scrambler and is a good on designed runs. So that's all really valuable. So, I mean, do you think Daniel Jones is a good quarterback? Like, do you think the Giants should be resigning him for next year? Well, I think he's not a you know, hand over the checkbook and let him fill in the number type of quarterback. There, <laughs> there, there, there are unfortunately probably too many of those that we end up seeing. It's just, you have that binary decision. Do we want to keep this guy? And if we do, then we're going to pay him uh, top of the market type of money. So I wouldn't put him in that category. So it's really going to be contingent upon what type of deal he's willing to take. But if we're talking about something that's 
you know, more in the 30 something million dollar range versus nowadays it's 50 million for a lot of quarterbacks. It's a possibility. I think what I'd want to concentrate on more than anything, though, is figuring out what sort of out you have potentially after two years. I don't know. One year might be a little too quick. Um, even though Derek Carr's extension did really have this one year out that they're exercising here, it might get difficult for something like that. Um, because he does have a lot of rushing production, which it is sustainable until it's not for a lot of different quarterbacks. I mean, he's fourth in rushing EPA this season after Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, and then uh, he's next. So is that going to continue going forward? I'm not sure. I mean, they ran him. They ran QB power probably 10 times last week. I don't know if he's going to hold up doing that, although we may see it again this week. So those are the types of things I'm not quite as sure about. And he's also really enhanced his efficiency by not making mistakes. And not making mistakes is a valuable attribute, but it's not necessarily something you want to pay uh, elite quarterback money for. Yeah, I worry about in year four, he graduates to game manager. You know, right. if in year yeah. four you graduated to game manager, that's I, I don't know what I don't think you graduate in year six to you know franchise win with this guy quarterback. And you know, I think one of the things you spoke to in terms of that binary thing, something I've been saying for years, there's no middle class among starting quarterbacks, or there's very there, it's a very foamy middle class. There's no oh, below Josh Allen, there's this other contract that you get. And I, I mean, maybe Tannehill was like an example, there's like isolated examples. This would be the year for that to be invented. For Geno Smith, for Daniel Jones, there's probably a couple other examples I'm blanking. Carr, for Derek Carr, maybe even as you say, well, Tua Tonga Viola moving forward with his risks. There's this secondary contract contract you give the guy, but until that's until until that's invented, it's like a very hypothetical thing to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I think even even for some of these guys with the mid tier contracts, like you mentioned with Carr and Tanhill, the problem is they're normally structured in a way to have a very low cap hit up front because mm-hmm. you need a lot of cap to spend around those guys to be good. And then we look at a situation like Tannehill was a cap hit, I believe, of 36, 37 million uh, this last season and will be again. Cars was going to bump up to 35 million. And then they kind of price themselves out of these contracts eventually. I mean, certainly looking at Daniel Jones, you have to say theoretically, if they paid him a medium level contract and they could get some receivers around him and you assume Evan Neal takes a step forward in his second year. So the offensive line becomes better that you, I mean, Dable has shown he can win with that. I mean, that's why Dable looks like such a great coach right now. And Kafka looks like such a great offensive coordinator, but uh, the, the receivers are obviously a real problem for them. I mean, they just grabbed Isaiah Hodgins off the bills practice squad and he's basically their number two guy. <laughs> yeah yeah that's been a problem it's also a, a little bit weird timing for the new regime maybe somewhat similar to in Chicago what we've seen where even this season there were guys they would have wanted to cut, like Kenny Galladay for instance yeah. that you know they, they just couldn't even cut them so he's going to be a cut next season he's going to be a cap hit next season which is going to lower some of their resources then and now we're talking about a potential you know already into the franchise tag sort of territory for Daniel Jones and then things get a little complicated because if you want to drop off and say, okay, we're not going to resign Daniel Jones. Now you're starting over without a high draft pick and cutting guys and the floor can fall out on a team that made the divisional round or further, I guess, theoretically uh, the year before that, that could look rough. Right. Yeah. Well, this circles back to a question that's been going across giants media the last couple of weeks and giants fans and giants blogs. And that question is this, when does Dave Gettleman get his apology? This is a team. Is there a form? Is there a form for this one that I have to fill out? <laughs> yeah. Josh Allen. Yeah, with a notary in blood. Okay, because you got because again you get you got uh, Daniel Jones playing well. You got Saquon playing well. You've got Dexter Lawrence playing well. You've got Andrew Thomas playing well. Uh, so uh, and again, I'm I'm sort of being devil's advocate a little bit here. Yeah. This theory that you know hashtag. Gettleman was right, uh, and that what we're seeing here is the residue of his grand design. I would say that advanced stats are not very high on actually on Barkley this year. He was very hit and miss. Like he had a couple of real highlight plays, but a lot of miss. And the thing about Lawrence is that as good as he was against the Vikings last week and as good as he's been all year, they were last in run defense in DVOA. 
if you avoid him, you can still run on. So like his value is, is good, but it's not like he's not stopping the run on his own. So the theory, the hog Molly's theory of Dave Gettleman was not borne out by this season. <laughs> yeah, I think that. And I also think we're talking about the number two, the number, we're talking Andrew Thomas in there, right? The number four, mm-hmm. Daniel yeah. Jones, the number six pick. They came back this year after, you know, and they had a another very strong pick where they ended up getting Evan Neal. Yep. Um yeah, it's it's easier to hit when you're when you're uh, you know in the top five a lot that mm-hmm. season. And when it comes to free agency, whether it's Galladay, whether before um, you know Bradbury ended up being uh, who knows what, um, right. you know Nate Solder, he was really going for big swings in free agency, and typically that's something that doesn't end up being the smartest move. And it's just hard. I mean, I have a lot of patience. As as a Sashi Brown apologist, uh, I have I have patience for a rebuild, but to go four seasons and never be above five hundred the entire time, it's pretty tough to argue that that's a good job of team building, despite what may be left after it's over. Yeah, it was never was over, like, never over five hundred even during the middle of a season. By the way, never never <laughs> over five hundred. Five hundred was the best it was during the entire the entire stretch. I always like to say it wasn't Gettleman got awful players. Like he could identify right. a good hog Molly when he thought it's just that all of the resources in the world would go into those good players that he liked. And that there was not a sense that we have to like really manage the salary cap and the budget and, and, and the terms of risk reward in terms of different positional values. And that's what this roster looks like where there's not, a, there's nothing at cornerback, you know, there's nothing in the secondary. Um, there's not a lot at wide receiver, but man, you got some really good defensive tackles. That's what was built. And that's what Dable's working around and working with not right. Although, in a very analytical way, they have gone super cheap at off-ball linebacker because their off-ball linebackers are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) By necessity, right. They're they're backing in. They're backing into it by necessity. So that's... (laughs) So so getting to the preview of this game then, I mean, one of the matchups in this game is the Eagles are the number one running game in the league when you include Hurts. And the Giants are the worst run defense in the league. That seems bad. I mean, assuming that Hertz is fully healthy, which we don't know exactly how healthy he is. But, I mean, this running game against the Giants' run defense, if you push Lawrence out of the way with two guys, you could run like crazy. And the Eagles ran the ball well in Week 18. They kind of chose not to. But when they chose to run the ball, they were able to get it. They were able to run it well in the first victory against the Giants. And in terms of Hertz's Health. He did not practice today, but I think today was a planned rest day. He was off the injury report on Monday. He practiced fully on Monday. The, the assumption has to be that for the playoffs, he is ready to be a threat as a zone read threat. And you're right. That's that's just a bad matchup for the uh, for the Giants because you can avoid, especially the Eagles running game, can avoid the middle of the field pretty well, work off tackle and work the edge. I guess what I would say is if the Eagles really want to lean into the run, um, which they probably should in this sort of matchup, theoretically. I do think it could play somewhat to the Giants' advantage as far as the fact, again, like last week, we saw what they did with Daniel Jones. I think they'll continue to do that this week. Mm-hmm. Philly is also a bottom 10 or you know sometimes bottom 5-ish sort of run defense if you look at some yeah. of their metrics on how they've been able to play. So if this ends up being a run, you know, the, both teams running the game, it kind of brings down the scoring yeah. generally, maybe lessens some of the elite player benefits that you have on the outside for the receivers for the Eagles and who knows if you get a fumble or two going one way or another uh, when this happens those massive value differentials could end up putting the Giants in position to win so I'll be interested to see how they lean into this whether it's a really kind of grind it out type of game because you'd have to hope a team that's clearly the worst team I mean the worst team remaining in the playoffs the Giants um, maybe they like that circumstance I will point out as far as quarterback rushing goes the Eagles were third in yards above replacement allowed to scrambles this year yeah and seventh in yards above replacement allowed to designed runs on the flip side, the Giants were actually pretty good against scrambles, but they were third in value allowed to design runs. So I think both of these quarterbacks are actually going to run a lot in this game. I think one of the things, the Eagles did have problems with Justin Fields, but everybody had problems with Justin Fields. And those problems meant to, oh, the game was, was a game until the early third quarter, as opposed to being out of it in the first quarter. So I don't know what to, what to make of what we saw from Daniel Jones the last couple of weeks as a rusher, though. Like you said, if this is a close game, that stays into account. 
in week 18, Jones didn't play Davis. They were running Davis Webb on like uh, like power draws, but that's because the Eagles were just abandoning the middle of the field and like like, like right. we're sort of half checked out here. Um, but I I don't think this is going to be a uh, a game plan that involves Daniel Jones running QB power and and, and counters and things like that. Also yeah, I'm not sure, but we did see it last week a lot more than I thought we were going to. I okay. thought. I thought he was going to need a pretty big ice bath, honestly, come <laughs> come after that game because he took a lot of hits. Even though Sneak, oh, yeah. he somehow he he somehow knows how to take, ends up taking these huge hits on Sneak. So I don't know if he'll survive a whole game of that potentially. Right. I will point out the Giants also have been really good passing the ball recently. They are fifth in pass DVOA since week 10. And the Eagles' pass defense has declined and is only 14th since week 10. So I feel like the Giants' offense – is more of a danger than I think we want to give them credit for. Their defense just sucks. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's fair. We saw it last week, right? So yeah. 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 And just when you start looking matchup by matchup, like again, statistically, look, the, the Giants can give them a fight. Matchup by matchup, it's going to have to be schemed up because you're not yeah. going to say, you know, uh, Darius Slay versus, uh, you know, Slayton, whatever, however you want to put those things up. Eagles win just about every matchup along the way there. Right, and of course, their pog mollies are now going up against the best offensive line in the league. Exactly. So you're you're like, this is, when you look at the Giants' offense and the Eagles' defense, you're like, this is good, and this on the other side is good. And then when you look at the Eagles' offense versus the Giants' defense, you're like, this is good, and this on the other side is awful. Yep. So that seems to give the Eagles the... the, What about Nick Sirianni? Nick Sirianni, based in South Philadelphia, admitting... That he got Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza early in the week. Is that a factor in any way? <laughs> Nick Sirianni. He might get hit by snowballs if there's snow in the stands. But. Yeah, this is like this is like the in the presidential cycle where someone goes to uh, New York and they, they 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 use a knife and fork on their on their pizza. This is this is like the equivalent here, basically. <laughs> hey, Here's, if there's a Pizza Hut in Philadelphia, it must be doing business with somebody. Must be doing business with somebody. Yeah, it shouldn't be. I, years ago in Philly, somebody came get cheesesteak and and ordered it with mustard. Yeah, I think it was Michael Dukakis to give you some idea of how their political career went from there. So, yeah, that so, was the real thing, not the tank, not the tank photo. It was that. Yeah. that no, it wasn't that. that. It wasn't that. It was the mustard on the cheesesteak. <laughs> the line is Eagles minus seven and a half. If you had to pick against the spread on this one, and all the lines this week, I think, are pretty close to what they should be, but. What what is your feeling? Eagles minus seven and a half or Giants plus seven and a half? Um, I mean, I have it pretty close. I have the Eagles by by a point point and a half more than that. So I guess I would lean in that direction. I think what maybe I've seen some people incredulous at the fact that it's there versus. I mean, for instance, you know, there's a Kansas City has has a bigger line against uh, the Jaguars uh, in in this week. So this is not the biggest line of the week. People are a little bit perplexed by that. I guess it's just the Eagles. There's been a little bit more creeping doubt into their, what I have for my power rating for them. And also what betting markets have for the power rating for them over the course of the last five, six weeks. I mean, even going into the playoffs, they were, I think, equivalent. And then maybe in some places even slipped slightly behind the 49ers uh, Super Bowl probability. And they had a buy going into it. So I think you know, the markets are at least seeing them as not probably not even the best team in the NFC. And I think that's why we see the number where it is. Right. And that goes, that's our system as well, Aaron, right? Yes, absolutely. The fact is the Eagles have declined over the last five or six weeks, not just because of Minshew, but because the, the, the defense has not been, the past defense has not been as good over the last five or six weeks as it was in the beginning of the season. Right. I was, was there was a decent amount of turnovers earlier too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was so it was so takeaway giveaway driven early in the season. And there's been a course correction on that side. And not all of it again was Minshew. Like some of it was Hurts earlier yeah. on. And they had the easiest schedule, one of the easiest schedules in the NFL, if not the I easiest. I believe the easiest the by our numbers. They had the easiest schedule in the Yeah. League. Yeah. So that's another factor. It just adds uncertainty. It adds uncertainty into yeah. who this team really is um, versus who we thought they were after the first 10 weeks of the season. You guys sound like you're trying to talk me into taking the Giants and the points, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> You can see what's no, I would not, I would not, I would never do that, too. Right? So, yeah. I take the Eagles and lay the points. So I've got a prop, and I'm sorry, this is a very meme prop. And do not bet memes, okay? It's a bad idea, but I'm still looking at it because it's in the Zeke Geist here in Philadelphia. Boston Scott, 
the giant killer. Anytime touchdown scorer at plus 380. I hard I have a hard time believing that Boston Scott is particularly good against the Giants compared to Gainwell or Sanders. Like right. I mean, Sanders scores most of the touchdowns. I say that, and of course, uh, it'll end up being Kenneth Gainwell. But, um, well, Jalen Hurts also is a complicating factor there. He'll, yeah. I mean, he was near the league lead in touchdowns this this year, I think, rushing touchdowns. Right, yeah, well, I don't think I would go with that one. I'm going to steer away from it. We've got some meme uh, uh, other uh, props coming down the road. So I'll, I'll steer, steer away from the Boston Scott anytime score. And I, I would go Giants plus seven and a half. I think especially given that I think that the Eagles can control this with the run, a high running game keeps scores usually closer. So I think, you know, given the, you know, the possibility of an upset plus the possibility of keeping it close, I like Giants plus seven and a half in this one. Yeah, I also think with the, with the, high, with the higher run total, what isn't appreciated sometimes is you think of it being – variance type of game but in some ways you turn a lot over to third down conversion and you just you know if you end up converting seven out of ten third downs you win the game easily even if they're easier third downs to convert in those situations you end up converting two out of ten you lose the game as opposed to you know getting a an 80 yard bomb from aj brown you don't have to worry about any of that nonsense and you just put seven on the board so i do think that's also something where maybe some additional variance could creep into it uh for what happens on third down in this game All right, we're going to go backwards and talk about the first game, which is Jacksonville Jaguars at the Kansas City Chiefs Saturday at 4.30. And the Chiefs won 27-17 to in Week 10, which actually was 27-10 to until the Jaguars scored a touchdown late. I just want to share one stat that I came up with while I was looking through stats for this game, now that we have blitz data from Sports Info Solutions. Mahomes this year was actually worse against a blitz than he was against four pass rushers, which is amazing because the last three years or whatever, the difference was like, the rule was like, never blitz Mahomes, never, ever, ever blitz Mahomes. And I still would never, ever blitz Mahomes, but he actually had only 6.6 yards per play against a blitz this year and 7.7 otherwise, which just goes to show how those splits are so variable. Yeah, It's one of the most difficult things. Like we want to believe in those splits because they conform to what we see with our eyes and what film watchers see when it comes to the strengths and weaknesses of a player. And yet there's so much variability in those splits that I, I, it's hard to tell how real they can be. No matter what, our sample sizes are never that great. Right. Right. I mean, looking at just one year of Mahomes blitzes, you're talking about 150 plays. Right. That's not a huge, huge sample when you start looking at variations in, opponent along the way now you get four years of samples now you're really crushing it but then you might just have statistical soup at that point right yeah and then and then performance against the blitz you'd presume is also just higher variance because you're taking more sacks you're throwing more interceptions or you're scoring more long touchdowns i mean maybe i'd have to look into the data to really figure this out but if you wanted to like shoehorn a narrative into that maybe not having tyreek hill or a downfield threat means fewer of the successes against the blitz are first downs as opposed to 40 yard touchdowns and that can make a difference in your overall number when you just you know have a mean number coming out at the beginning, we talked about your method, Kevin. And did I hear it was Mahomes one and Trevor Lawrence two? No, Trevor Lawrence is above Daniel Jones. So, no, it's it's Mahomes, Josh Allen. And then in total value, you have Lawrence third. In per play value, I think Lawrence is fourth or fifth. But in total, he's third. Tua, Tua is up there on per play value. But this is also a weird season where there's just not – a lot of quarterbacks only have – you know, 400 ish sort of dropbacks as opposed to 500, 600, like you'll see in some seasons. Right. Well, Lawrence had to have so a guys who stayed healthy benefit. Lawrence yeah. was really good this year. And he had to have a big drop pass adjustment because I believe that the, the Jaguars led the NFL in drop passes. I know Zay Jones led the universe in drop passes. Yeah, um, yeah. I think Rodgers had the highest adjustment. And okay. then actually Daniel Jones and Lawrence are pretty similar as far as their adjustment. So, yeah, he's right up there. I think he's a guy, um, if you're a red zone watcher like me, you know, maybe that's uh, maybe that's that's not the way you're supposed to do things. But early in the season, he was so bad in the red zone that if you just watched red zone, you would have thought he was awful. And it was almost the reverse for Justin Fields when you compare the two because you catch all of Justin Fields's 
65 yard scrambles, but you wouldn't catch like there's seven three and outs that would come in between because there's no point in putting it on red zone in order to show that. So I feel like Lawrence got hit a little bit by some very ill-advised turnovers and play in the red zone early in the season. Yeah. Yeah, He would, he would fumble quite a bit. He would roll for roll randomly to his right and look around and kind of fire the ball away earlier in the season in the red zone. And he didn't see like five crisp passes to get there. I, think I mean, Lawrence yeah. was he, he had two interceptions on first down. One first and first and goal, I think, from the one he threw an interception, and then he threw another interception, first no second and one from the six or something like that. So right. really bad ones. The problem with Lawrence being so good this year is that's the one thing the Jaguars do really well, right? They don't run the ball yeah. particularly well. Their defense is not good. Their special teams are okay. But it's really like, this is the Trevor Lawrence show, man. Like, and the different, you know, the problem is that it's going up against the Patrick Mahomes show. And it's a case of anything you can do, I can do better, right? Like the Chiefs are very similar to the Jaguars, except better at everything. Like their defense is also not as impressive as their offense, but better than the Jaguars. And their passing game is the best. Yeah. Andy Reid is just a... a a better Doug Peterson, I guess they're from the same, same right, lineage all, there. Yeah, minus basically. fourth downs, minus fourth downs. We'll see about that. We'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, no, I agree. This is actually the one game that I do have different than the markets. And that is leaning towards the chiefs even being better. It's tough when you get up around eight and a half points, something like that. But this is the one game where I've been a little bit heavier on the chiefs all season. I guess I'm skeptical about the Jaguars team Andy Reid having a bye, all that sort of stuff. Going to Kansas City, it's not going to be the worst weather, but it's not going to be great necessarily for a Florida team that hasn't really gone outdoors that much in tough weather. Uh, you saw what happened in Philly. That was a that was a disaster for the Jaguars when they went out there. So it'll be a Some change. of it is because your systems are based on EPA, and I've done some looking at it. And EPA compared to DVOA, there's a big difference in the Kansas City offense in the first few weeks of the season hmm. where EPA had them like, historically good and DVOA just had them as the best in the league, but not historically good. And then from like week seven on the two systems are basically in agreement about how good they are. Yeah. I think a lot of people are skeptical of their defense, which makes sense, but I don't know. Again, it's improved in recent weeks. Their defense has improved. Playing at home, playing at home, um, extra time to study and to get the game plan prepared. And Trevor Lawrence, we just talked about, he has, shown some boneheadedness in his plays sometimes and i think that's what uh they're going to try to exploit is to pressure and give him some unique looks and see what happens there and you have a jaguars team without their left tackle we've got walker little out there at left tackle who's wearing a sign saying yeah uh, send the bliss in this direction you know try to beat me one-on-one and that that could also be a factor in this Hitchhiker's defense only has to be okay anyway because their offense is so good it's like the, the fast break defense. Like we're going to get some sacks and turnovers. We can give up some chunks. Another thing that the, uh, the analytics don't realize is that Chris Jones takes the first 12 weeks off of the season and then yes. just decides to wreck everything. <laughs> He's like, it's playoff time. I've been waiting for this. The, it's, it's, it's the playoff stretch run. Now it's time for me to wreak havoc on the, on the opposing. If that performance from the first 12 weeks was taking things off, my God. I mean, the dude is a different career. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just thinking about the last couple of weeks where I feel like he's been in the backfield every single play. Yeah, yeah. Kirk Cousins saw a film of Chris Jones and instinctively started throwing the ball to TJ Hawkinson. It was really amazing. It was like a, like a reflex. Started throwing two yard passes. Poor Kirk. Poor Kirk. I, will, I, will, I will say you have to know which cornerback to, to target. Uh, the SIS, the charting numbers on the cornerbacks, Trent McDuffie was eighth in yards per target. Huh. Jalen Watson, 48. <laughs> Lugarius Sneed, somewhere between. Wow. So McDuffie had a very good rookie year. Jalen Watson, not so much. Pretty uh, similarly one-sided for the Jaguars' corners, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Tyson Campbell was fabulous this year. And Trey Herndon, meh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the other thing I'll point out that I think I pointed out on Twitter, the Jaguars are the worst defense in the league against tight end. If you could think of the worst possible weakness to have against the Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> Like, I can't think of a worse weakness to have than our linebackers can't cover Travis Kelsey at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. 
So it's it's bad. But I'm I'm with you actually. I think I would bet on the Chiefs. Chiefs minus eight and a half. I would go on the you know. I mean, I, not that I'm writing off the Jaguars and saying that they have no chance whatsoever. But uh, if I had to bet this line, I would go Chiefs minus eight and a half. I'll go there with you. You want a prop? Hit it. Patrick Mahomes, 300-plus passing yards, and Jarek McKinnon, one-plus rushing or receiving touchdown at plus 210. 300-plus yeah. from Mahomes? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. One-plus rushing receiving from McKinnon, who they love getting the ball around the 8-9, 10-yard line. Especially in the playoffs. In the playoffs, they start – it's so funny. I saw something about Clyde Edwards-Alaire is – being back to practice. And I'm like, that'll be good for the two carries that they give him. But when it comes to playoff time, they're like, okay, it's McKinnon. McKinnon's the running back now. Like, that's good. All right. We'll start messing around. Stop messing around with the other running backs. McKinnon's the running back now. Yeah, no, I think, I think that makes sense. The only thing that I would be worried about when it comes to the chiefs having to get, you know, nine, 10 point differential is there's always there's always gonna be one or two times where with that Kansas City offense where Andy Reid has a fourth and two and they're up by you know it's a tie game or they're up by a touchdown they're like oh let's just kick the field goal here rather than oh. you know really put it on well, them. I thought you were that, talk about that when he gives the ball to Blake Bell or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, that could happen too. Well, don't yeah, we can't sneak Mahomes anymore. That's been taken off of the play sheet after he dislocated his kneecap. But um, yeah, there's there's some other stuff. Yeah. Reminder, by the way, if you are watching us live on YouTube or on Twitch, please send in your comments and questions about these games. We love to talk to you. As Hitchhiker's Pie points out, even in 2019, everything went bad in the first half, and they still crushed the Texans by the end. So, yeah, we're, we're Chiefs believers. Yeah, that was that, that was one of the funnier pregame interviews because I remember um, I remember that, you know, Andy Reid was being interviewed before the game, and they're like, Andy – Look at you got to run the ball. You got to run the ball this way. You got to run the ball. Then they were down. Was it twenty four? Nothing. Something like that. No, and I, think they, I think they, at that point. I think they. Did, I don't think they passed the ball for the next quarter and a half, and they scored five straight touchdowns or something like that. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Sunday and start with the Cincinnati Bengals at the Buffalo Bills. Of course, this is the game that was canceled a couple of weeks ago, except now taking place in Buffalo rather than Cincinnati. And we did want to talk about Joe Burrow with your adjusted quarterback efficiency because. I know he's considered by some people to, at this point to be one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league. I believe PFF's grade had him third this year. Uh, but in the adjusted quarterback efficiency, he came out sixth in total value and only 10th in value per play behind Jared Goff and Daniel Jones. And I know Jared Goff is a guy that you're thinking, if we're going to do an adjustment on quarterback efficiency that's a guy we want to adjust because he plays <laughs> indoors and reactions a lot and all this other stuff and how did burrow end up behind goff and jones in the aqe yeah i mean part of it is that a lot of guys are bunched up even in their unadjusted efficiency so you know burrow's around seventh eighth in that sort of category so he's definitely higher than, than some of these others but maybe not as much as you think even in unadjusted efficiency you know golf is ahead of him to start off with um, but how he really gets adjusted is receiver adjustments. I mean, there's an adjustment for the open score, the fact that the Bengals, I'm not sure where they finished the season, but at one point in the season, they had Boyd and Higgins and Jamar Chase all in the top 32 wide receivers for the open score. So, you know, you can do the math on there. There's 32 NFL teams. So if you have three wide receivers in the top 32, you're doing pretty well there as far as those guys being able to get open. And they also had above average score for how much yak they were getting, how much yak value they were getting versus what you would have expected based upon the target location. So there's those ones. And there's also a big drop adjustment, a big negative drop adjustment because they had a lower drop rate than what you would have expected this season. It makes sense because if you say which team has the best trio of wide receivers, you would say the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'll remind people, if you haven't seen these new ESPN Receiver metrics, they're based on the tracking, the next-gen tracking, and they track receivers on both fast passes they're thrown and on passes they're not thrown. So they're actually very overall um, all-encompassing, like and they love the Bengals receivers, absolutely. And we all love the Bengals receivers, too. We don't like the Bengals line so much, though. No, and the Bengals, well, that's the problem with this game is getting it to those receivers because of the fact that they're going to have the three backups on the offensive line, including, I mean, the worst is 
Jackson Carmen, who's generally a guard playing left tackle. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, Burrow had a really bad sack rate to start the season, and things actually cleaned up quite a bit in the mm-hmm. second half of the season. That's another reason why his efficiency numbers look a lot worse than what you would expect, um, even on an unadjusted basis, is that he, he does have one of the higher sack rates in the NFL. Right. Same with numbers. But this Same last, yes, but this last week, you know, we saw it again. I guess the hope would be for Cincinnati is that you don't have an in-game injury. Like we saw last week, a major in-game injury. You can try to prep a little bit more. And he does do a lot of things when it comes to empty and using the quick game. And I do give him a positive adjustment for their lack of play action that they do. They make things, put things into his hand a little bit more. So I think we'll just see a lot of that this week, which can be good for them too. If they decide we're not going to run the ball as much and we're going to, we're going to pass the ball a lot. Uh, Burrow also had a ton of interceptions at the beginning of the season. So that's another factor that maybe you wouldn't expect his INT rate to be that high when he had four in the first week of the season. Hitchhiker's Pie asks, is this adjusted quarterback efficiency something you would be able to backdate? Because he wonders about um, someone like Drew Brees with great touch and ball placement comparing them to Burrow for Yak. Yeah, unfortunately, the, 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 the charting data that I'm working with now um, is only goes back through 2021. So I don't have it going back to the Drew Brees era. But I agree that that Yak component is the one that I've found to discount it as much as you can because you can't necessarily figure out how much of it is a great scheme how much of it is the ball placement and just being able to really work within a system some systems are designed to have more yak than other systems like san francisco so you don't so that is the one that i discount the most um, but it still does end up hurting burrow because chase is a guy in particular who can sometimes take a short pass and and go all the way with it and you don't you don't want to ding some quarterback who's recognizing that the running back's open in the flat and has nobody and gets 13 yards and also has been coached to do that because that's part of the design. I'm like, oh, we're, we're holding yeah. that against you now. You don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, I'll take exactly. John Coleman's question later when we get yeah. to Dallas. But first, yeah. we're going to talk about Cincinnati Buffalo a little bit more. Um, I will point out both of these defenses are weaker on third down than on first and second down, and both of the offenses are very strong on third down. So I think you're going to see a lot of extended drives in this game from both teams. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think this one is my favorite for shootout potential, and it doesn't seem like a controversial take to say so. But if you look at the total here, it's 48 and a half. And when we're talking about Burrow and Allen, doesn't seem that seems relatively low. I mean, for instance, Kansas City and Jacksonville is 53. So I think there's some chance, and people are probably low on the Bengals' ability to score with the offensive line issues. But I think there's some chance that this could go a bit higher than than we've seen. And Josh Allen is like, you know, they could have scored a billion points last week if he wasn't turning the ball over over and over again. We saw what he did in the playoffs last week. So I think he's a high variance. Really, yes, very very much so. So I, I think this could be this has big shootout potential, which we got a taste of before the DeMar Hamlin injury also. Well, since you brought that up, I pulled up earlier the highest scoring game props. So what will be the highest scoring game of the weekend? So here, here are your uh, possibilities. Jaguars at Chiefs, you can get at plus 160. Bengals at Bills, you can get plus 290. Giants at Eagles, plus 330. Cowboys at Niners, plus 425. Based on what you just told me. Bengals at Chiefs? Bengals at, Bengals at Bills, you mean? Bengals at Bills, excuse me, yes. Bengals at Bills at plus 290? High scoring game? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I would be there. What, is, what does that say? So that says the implied odds are... Plus 290. 20, yeah, a little bit over 25% chance. So saying slightly higher than if, if all the games... We're equal percentage. Yeah, I, I would like that. I mean, I definitely would not like Kansas City. And then we talked about reasons why we thought it might go even under for um, Giants for Giants and Eagles. And then we'll get to San Francisco, but I'm also thinking on that one, um, who knows? Brock Purdy's the truth. He's the answer. He's the greatest thing ever. But this could be a, a game for him, too, where he might, you know, things could go a little sideways. Plan it now. <laughs> Playing it as you speak. It's funny because you also have lowest scoring game. Yes which has the odds go backwards the other way. I almost think it would be funny to put a little bit of money on both the Bengals and Bills to be both the highest scoring game and the lowest scoring game. 
Because I feel like it's going to either end up as one or the other, depending on like what's up with Alan. I I guess I should have checked the weather forecast before I just played place that. Oh, that I think it's like. Well, I think I looked at it. There might be a little snow. There might be a little snow, but it didn't seem like wind was that bad. Like so a, there are no wind games. This uh, no wind games this week. Yeah, no nothing. Wind. Nothing seems that bad weather weather wise this week. No, I, I totally agree with you. It is the, it is the variance game. If you can bet on on that alone, then that would be, yeah, thinking thinking that it could be the highest or the lowest is a good call. <laughs> By the way, the odds on lowest scoring game, Cowboys at Niners plus 190. Giants at Eagles plus 250. If these are different from the graphic, I'm reading these live right now. Bengals at Bills plus 280. And Jaguars at Chiefs plus 475. So, of course, they're re- reversed there. Uh I don't have a feel on that, and I don't like vote, like betting on low-scoring games because like you're betting on like oh, I'm waiting for a score here. Bet on the shootouts. The um, if you bet on both, both, then you can be happy either way through, <laughs> through the, until the very end of the game when it middles you and you and, and you're not happy. Precisely right. Precisely right. One interesting stat, by the way, that I think fits the narrative of how these teams work: the Bills' offense, based on the number of defensive backs that the other team has on the field. When the defense is in base, they rank 21st in DVOA. When the defense is in nickel or dime, they rank second. Now, how often is the defense in base against the Bills, though? That's, about, that's a third, about a third of the time. Which is about league average. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, they, they run some two tight end stuff. They run with Gilliam as the fullback. Like They don't necessarily always go three wide, but they're better when they do. Right. Yeah, I mean – that's I think they identified that as a problem that they can't really fix this season is the lack of depth at wide receiver. I mean, we got Cole Beasley out there, right? Isaiah McKenzie should be healthy for this game. Isaiah, Isaiah McKenzie is back for this game. He, he was running practice. He had a couple of catches last week. So, yeah. Hitchhiker's Pie points out that Stefan Diggs has more EPA than the rest of the Bills receivers combined. Right. Right. Not surprising. Yeah. Not surprisingly. The other guys had a lot of drops along the season. They've had some injuries as well uh, along the way. And yeah, as I often lament, they don't seem to want to create like a little quick game for the speedy guys. You know, Davis and McKenzie are both like the speedy guys, yet there's very little quick screen game in their offense, which I think would probably help them, especially when if they're up by two touchdowns and they don't necessarily want to fire the ball 60 yards downfield on play after play. Yeah. So Bills minus five and a half. As much as I love the Bills and I picked the Bills to go to the Super Bowl and the Bills were number one in DVOA and our odds for the Bills are better than other, you know, better than the market, uh, I'm going Bengals plus five and a half. I think this is that would be where I would lean. That's where I would lean. It's not as strong, though, as 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 taking Kansas City minus eight and a half. But it's probably the second strongest for me is to look at this one and say it should be more around maybe three ish type of points. Jim asks if you should consider a likely appearance at the game by DeMar Hamlin before placing a wager. I, I I think that will be, I hope, I hope to see him out there. I think it'll be emotional. Remember, I just partially based my, uh, my Giants Eagles bet on stuffed crust pizza. So yeah, I probably should have put that into play. So let's see DeMar Hamlin out there win or lose. Let's see him cheering his teammates on it. I'm going with the bills. Minus six, minus five and a half. Five and a half. I'm taking the Bills all the way. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about the last game, which is the Cowboys at the 49ers. And before we get deep into this game, we'll take John Coleman's question about Cincinnati seems most likely for the upset, but do you give Dallas a shot? And if you could grab Kansas City minus two and a half and just needed one other leg, what would you grab as the oh, other leg? I guess mm. in a in a in a um why am I blanking on what you call that when you combine two games? Parlay. Teaser. A parlay where you get to push the line six points. If you started with yeah, Kansas City yeah. minus two and a half, what would you take for the other leg? Take the uh, take the Eagles line down and take the Eagles maybe. Eagles minus yeah, one. I and mean that goes that that goes over the most key numbers. So just blindly, whether you any way you look at it, you get over seven, you know, six, three, all the way down. So yeah. Yeah, I would say, yeah, Eagles minus one and a half and Chiefs. Yeah, teaser. Parlay is when you don't move the lines. Teaser That's is right. when you do move the lines. Correct, correct, yes. Let me um, see. You guys talk. I'll try and see what what, what that calculation is. This is my aphasia affecting me. 
Um, so yeah, tell me your thoughts about the Cowboys and the 49ers and uh, Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott and uh, Kevin. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, it's interesting because I think the question that I've heard around a lot, and admittedly I'm a, a Jimmy Garoppolo truther, is like Brock Purdy, how good is he basically at this point? And my adjusted numbers for his time there really hard because of the strength of receivers, the yak over expectation, the blocking, everything else. But they even have a larger adjustment for Brock Purdy so far. So I think that is all of those things combined with the blocking, even getting a little bit better combined with even a little bit more yak as part of the offense that we've seen. George Kittle in particular has been a guy who's been very explosive after catching the ball where we didn't see that a lot early in the season and their schedule has not been very challenging so far. Um, and we see Purdy run around a lot and then eventually make a play sometimes. I just don't know against this Dallas defense with that pass rush, it could get a little bit more challenging. So I guess for this, I'm wondering whether or not Brock Purdy is going to not be exposed, but whether we're going to see a guy who's probably at his best, more of a league average type of quarterback than what we've seen so far. The, the, the big red flag for me against the Seahawks is how many times Purdy eject, ejected the park pocket out of the back and ran to his left. Like yes. considerably yeah. as a routine. Now every defensive coordinator is watching that and say, "I'm going to bring a blitz from the other side, and I'm going to put, and I'm going to have you know somebody out there to to catch him on that." I'd be concerned about him exactly what you said, attempting to do that. He's had enough success with that, where it could turn into a bad habit. Like, I'll I'll get out there and I'll make a play. I'll just throw it back the other way for you know a touchdown, and winding up against tr- trouble when facing your Micah Parsons and your Tank Lawrences and your you know, all those guys that the, the Cowboys can throw out there. Now, here's the interesting thing about the pass rush and Purdy. If you're the Cowboys and you look at your numbers from the year, you want to go after Purdy with just four guys. Cowboys defense, first in DVOA, 5.5 yards per play when they only sent four. 23rd in DVOA, 6.6 yards per play when they blitz. Because their cornerbacks are not... I mean, they're starting like they two cornerbacks got injured, and now they're starting Maleflu. I don't remember the name of the dude who's starting opposite Trevon Diggs at this point. It's, it's, it's Xavier Rhodes now. They they just grabbed Xavier, yeah, Xavier Rhodes. Rhodes' corpse. Like it's it's yeah. the secondary is <laughs> like they they uh, bl- blitzing could be a, a problem for them. So uh, you know, Micah needs to just get home. So Micah's on that side that Purdy likes to roll out to. So if Micah beats his guy, which he will, because he's Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. Even though that's Trent Williams, there will be times that Micah Parsons beats him. He'll run into Purdy trying to turn left, I guess. <laughs> Xavier Rhodes' corpse looked pretty good on Monday night. So I, what's interesting yeah. about the, just like T.Y. Hilton's corpse looks has been looking pretty good late. And all year, Jason Peters' corpse, which is now, I think, like going back into the earth. But like it was was helpful through the year. So give Cowboys credit for kind of grabbing these guys off the street who have good reputation and getting something out of them along the way. Um, quick note yeah, about yeah. you don't want to you don't want to overvalue Monday night but I like a lot of people was a little bit fooled when the number moved to, to three towards Dallas thinking oh you know there might be some value on Tampa Bay because the right. uh, the Dallas corners can't can't cover anyone and then the numbers coming out of that at least was the best coverage and at least according to PFF's grades where they look at perfectly covered plays it was the highest percentage of anyone that weekend for Dallas so mm-hmm. you know yeah we'll, we'll see what happens in this game by the way, a quick note on that parlay. Shanahan uh, too. So I like that. I like that. What's that? Quinn versus Shanahan will be an interesting little matchup. Uh, yes. That will be. So if you get the Chiefs minus two and a half and you were going to come in with the Eagles minus two and a half as well, on that teaser, you're at minus 143. Okay. So I, I don't know how much I, I love uh, not getting that much out, you know, got juice out of it. So I would say fiddle around with it. Maybe you've got a tolerance to take the Eagles to four and a half or something. Maybe you like the Cowboys teased around in this as well as the second half of that leg. Yeah. Um, the uh, interesting thing about this game is the directions the teams have been going in. The Cowboys pass defense, despite the fact that it had all those perfectly covered plays last week against Tampa, has definitely been in decline. 16th in DVOA since week 10. Uh, well, their offense has gotten better, eighth since week 10. So mm-hmm. the Cowboys' offense has been improving. The Cowboys' defense has been declining. The 49ers' offense, 
since Purdy became the quarterback, the 49ers offense is number one. Like that's <laughs> I feel like the, the whole, like, how good is Purdy question? I don't know how much it matters because no matter how good Purdy is, he's going to be in this system with these receivers. So what matters is how good he is yeah. in this system with these receivers. Cause right. we're not seeing him in another system with other right. receivers. We're, we're not, we're not doing a free agency or a trade. We're doing a game. Right. And in this game, George Kittle and Ushek and McCaffrey and Debo are all playing. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, know. I, mean, I would just say though, the, how good he is maybe comes that. Yeah. Yeah, the whole question with Purdy and how good he is maybe comes to me being more, will we see, multiple turnover game which we haven't seen so far this year it would be that sort of way rather than whether or not he can be effective when he completes passes which he definitely can be in this offense right so open the receipt he he was not accurate he was not accurate last week no no no, not at all i think his cpoe was flat or slightly negative they were absurdly open you have uh vander esch playing well now too he was hurt for part of the year he's been playing well it's another possible difference maker you know, for when you're facing Kittle and Yushik and all these guys over the middle, having a linebacker who can cover. So 49ers minus three and a half. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's right there. And it, like that's right a tough there. line. That's really seems about right. Doesn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems right to me. Once you have, you know, you get over, once you get the three and then especially once you get to three and a half, those are going from two and a half to three and a half is huge. So that, that shows a pretty strong bias towards San Francisco in this game, as far as how good the teams are. I mean, even though they have home field and they, all that sort of stuff, it still leans towards them, which I think is fair. I think they're the better team. Yeah. right now. San Francisco has been the better team. There's no question about it. So I guess if I had to play this line, I would play San Francisco minus three and a half. I guess I'd like San Francisco. I think I might go the other way. I might go the other way just because it's three and a half. But yeah. When when in doubt in the divisional round, go chalk. In the divisional round, I I was like, you went in doubt, go chalk. The team that got home field got home field for a reason, you know. So I would lean towards the Niners. Uh, what were a couple of your other fun props, Mike? We had a couple more. Oh, we have a couple of really fun ones here. Okay. Here's my favorite. I should play it while I've got my uh, my sports book open. Any offensive lineman to score a touchdown, to score a touchdown, any big man touchdown of any kind, plus 1,600. Now, of course, we know that there's no way that's actual value in terms of odds, but to be rooting for four games for one big man touchdown of plus 1,600, tell me you don't love it. Well, it is fun because Dallas is playing uh, Connor McGovern as a fullback now, which sort of suggests that yes. there's a pass to Connor McGovern somewhere in the playbook. Yes. I like that. Um, I like the fact that we mentioned Jalen Hurts, Daniel Jones going to be running it quite a bit. Purdy maybe running it. You know, a little. they're a little looser with the football sometimes when they get hit down there. You know, the ball spills out, big man falls on top of it, and boom. Yeah, Yeah. that would count as an offensive lineman scoring a touchdown, too. Exactly. That's that's probably most likely. That's most likely how it will happen, right, is on a fumble, is on an offensive fumble that that they end up scoring, offensive lineman ends up scoring probably. Right, and that's it. Like, Jason Kelsey gets a fumble touchdown, and and Philadelphia loses his complete mind. Along the same lines with not as much fun, but any non-quarterback to throw a touchdown pass at plus 850. I didn't go through all the things, but you can see back. I don't feel like that. Kadarius Tony. Can Kadarius Tony throw the ball? He can. He can throw the ball, right? He can throw the ball. So he'd be a guy. Does Debo? Debo's probably thrown it before. Or Ayuk, one of those guys. Debo has, I think. Oh, Christian McCaffrey's thrown it. Yes. Christian McCaffrey's throwing a touchdown this season. Uh, Who else do we have here? There's a Uh, lot of guys. I don't think Saquon can throw the ball. Oh, I'm sure he's thrown one. I'm sure he's throwing one. I'm looking that up right now. I'm looking up Saquon to see if he's throwing. He seems like a guy that would attract enough attention. I don't know. Some some reason I feel like his body style is a little too bulky, maybe, but I don't know. Maybe he could get it done. Um, I don't see him for the Giants, but Penn State. Well, you know, be another good one would be would be Travis Travis Kelsey. Running the uh, the 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 the, uh, the straight snap to him, and then he does a pop pass, a little underhand pass to somebody for a touchdown. There you go. That's another yes. one that could happen. 
From the man who brought you, uh, who was that defensive tackle that he had playing fullback who threw a pop pass, a Damari Poe? It's not, it was Poe, yeah. Oh my gosh. It'd be Kalen Saunders. Kalen Saunders will do that. D Daniel Ochoa wants to know if Brett Maher is going to miss extra points again. The, the, I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in kicker psychology, but there have been plenty of examples of kickers having bad games in the past, and it just goes away the next week. Right. 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 I, I don't see this as like Steve Sachs disease or whatever. You yeah. Know. If they think Brett Maher is better than Tristan Vescaino, who they signed as a practice squad player, then Brett Maher is going back out there to kick field goals this week. Nope. Yeah. I mean, the bright side was he was kicking all those when they had like a 98% win probability or something. Yeah. So that was, that made it a little yeah. bit less painful to be missing those. If it was a close game, that would have been painful. It would probably help if Jerry stopped talking about it all the time. That probably would help a little bit psychologically to make sure that it's not – I'm going to keep making it a talking point. By the way, it probably would help if Jerry, Jerry stopped talking, stop period, talking no. about it all the time is the name of the Dallas Cowboys 2022 highlight film. <laughs> stop talking about Zeke, boss. Yes. The, uh... <laughs> all right. You had, you had one other, which was the overtime one, which is fun. Oh, I did. Oh, my God. I, thank you. I forgot about that. Will any game go overtime at plus 280? I usually pick this because I know that the universe hates me and the late game, the latest game when I'm on deadline, will go overtime. So I at least make money off the fact that I'm sitting there saying I want to finish my article. No, knowing but, knowing the books, my guess is that this is the exact like this is the exact right odds yes. for how often games go to overtime plus a little juice. Like this is probably there's probably no value in this whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, these games are all are all fairly, fairly big spreads, I would say, for a divisional round, right? Like, no one's within three points. So no one is no one's even seeing as being that close of a game here. Um, yeah, it would be good for the NFL, though, to get their new overtime rules in there. It'd be good for nerds. We could talk yeah, about, you know, why it's going to be going for two or not. What do you think? Yeah. Which is better to have the ball first or second in the new overtime? I've seen both say that that it's that it's better, but I guess I've seen it more often a slight advantage to first, so maybe that's fine. I just like you just have to know the the PAT rules seem to be go for one if you if you score first, and then if that, if that happens, you have to go for two. You that's have, the, the second part I'm certain about. Yeah. If you're the second team and the first team scored a touchdown and got seven, you should go for two and try to end the game right there because if you yes. tie it. The other team gets the ball. Now it's sudden death, and they're more likely than 50 50 to score. I'm not ready for yeah, this. Yeah. On the internet. I'm not ready for this conversation on the internet. Hitchhiker's Pie I'm, says this, that the, the whether you take the ball or give the ball to the other team are as close as perfect to possible, according to Brian Burke. Yeah, that's what I've seen. I've seen that it's very, very close. So I, I did a fake, I'm not fake, but I did a, like a, a joke poll of which coach was going to be most likely to mess up the the go for two or not in overtime and i think todd bowles is number one so unfortunately he's he's eliminated from here shanahan might be a sneaky guy to fall yeah. in there but i'm not quite sure about um mccarthy probably not no my guess um, is peterson knows to go for two yes Andy Reid knows to go for two but won't do it <laughs> You got to be ready. Prepare yourself for the conference championship by by learn by most, you know, most your defense. likely to know to go for two is Peterson, right? And want to do it and want to have some goofy yeah. thing lined up that he wants to do, right? Because the Dable seems like he's pretty good. Dable seems like he's anyway. Good. Like the Jaguars go for the win against the Chiefs. Like if yeah. he fails, like nobody's going to fault him for don't let Mahomes back on the field. Like. Yeah. As the biggest underdog, they would have the biggest advantage too for, yeah. for doing it. So that makes sense. And of yeah. course, the Ravens would do it and fail so spectacularly and so hysterically that it would be three weeks of conversations about how analytics are wrong. If there's a one lesson we've learned in the last couple of years uh, from the Baltimore Ravens, other than don't let Lamar Jackson get hurt, mm -hmm. I think it's um if you're going to be a team that's aggressive on two-point conversions and fourth downs, you probably should make sure you have more plays and more practice of those situations because it does feel like the Ravens – I mean, it doesn't feel like. It is. The Ravens are bad in those situations. 
that are really important to them because they happen to go for it. I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it looks like they don't have a play drawn up. They're like, this is how we get Mark Andrews the ball here, or this is how we use our mobile quarterback in the best way. Um, Or in the case of – Well, what's interesting is, you know, Jackson had – I believe it was – I don't know when it was. It was very early in the season. He threw an interception in the end zone on fourth down, which ended up being – negative you don't get the fourth down and you don't pin your opponent deep so i wonder if that's another thing i don't even know how you can teach that is like okay let's fail in the in the right way rather than right. fail if in the we're worst gonna way fail possible. on this fourth down from the one yeah we yeah. need to make sure they start with the ball on the one and not right. on the 20 or a touchdown or if you're going to <laughs> the ball over the pile make sure make sure you're actually close to the end zone when you do that you're not a full yard away from the end zone that's failing they took failing spectacularly to the next level on that play. I'll say this as I was working on an article on sneaks, someone did remind me you can't really practice sneaks for real, for real. You can't go out there with your offense and defense, have them slamming into each other, knee to knee, ankle to ankle. So, you know, Huntley doesn't practice the sneak very much. And, and, and that's where you get these things. It's like what you should do is if you're doing it at half speed, take it, dive with your hands on the ball, take it, dive with your hands on the ball. And a, a, that didn't really pay off. Right. I mean, I've advocated it. more people to do that move, but because uh-huh. Breeze used to do it all the time. Um, Trevor Lawrence has done it a couple of times successfully, but you really have to be close to, to do it. Breeze yeah, was the other guy like who was the master too of far. It. They were too far from the from the. Yeah, they were a full yard away. You can't do it from, from that far away. All right. Okay. Uh, Greg Roman was just fired, I believe, right? Greg Roman really? was just fired. Uh-oh. Statement from the Ravens head coach. This is in my email. Greg has led the development and success of a record-setting offense for several seasons. Tremendous football coach as well as family man. Greg devised and led our offense. 26 achievements. He established our, genif- uh, I, uh, our identity on offense. We are grateful for his work and abilities, and we wish him and his wonderful family the utmost happiness going forward. Wow. Okay. He was fired during our show. Yep. yep. Does this help or hurt the chances of Lamar Jackson coming back? Because to me, that was looking – at best for next season, potentially Lamar not coming back. So I don't know. That's layered. That's yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't know what Jackson's personal relationship with Roman was like. Will he feel like this is an offense? This is offensive to him. (laughs) Brian says it certainly does either help or hurt things, (laughs) but I don't know which. Yeah. Um, I don't know either. I don't know. I just feel like a tag and trade is like, Yes. Tag and trade. Tag and people who I trust. But he won't sign the tag. And if he wants fully guaranteed money and a new contract, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Nobody's giving him. The problem is no one's giving yeah. him a fully guaranteed contract because the one time they went and gave someone a fully guaranteed contract, Cleveland did that. Everyone is angry at them. And then Watson came out and sucked. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Watson was a de facto free agent too. So it's a little right. bit different of a, of a contract situation and Lamar Jackson has missed five games, two years running. Now that doesn't help also. Yeah. What I'll, what I'll say is people who I trust, certainly my own eyes also about Greg Roman's offense. I think that this is a good move. Yeah. I think that they can get a more creative offense. Like 2019, they were so good and everything has stagnated so much in the three years since then, that it's clear that when it comes to developing the passing game and, as good as the running game is, they need a passing game. They need to go in another direction as far as a thought process for a passing Agreed. game. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see how people view Lamar. But I was just looking at coaches the other day, coaches who would, who potentially were going to have their second gig in this cycle. And this is before, um, before you know, out of the equation. So I was looking at that and – Know, that stretch he had with Kaepernick, I mean, Kaepernick was like a top five passing efficiency yeah. quarterback for multiple yeah. seasons, still in the top 10 to third season. Then he fell out of top 25 and never returned after that. So I wonder how much that weighs on people's minds too when it comes to someone like Lamar Jackson. Fair or not, people are going to go to whatever the closest analogy is. Some guys, their systems get stagnant. There yeah. just are some coaches where it's really good at first and then everybody picks up on what they're doing, and it stagnates. Right. And so Roman may be very good at his next stop for the first year or two, and then have the same thing happen. It's all very possible. It's all very possible. And the yeah. Ravens thing is going to be an evolving story as the days and weeks go. 
That's that's just it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. That does it for our divisional round preview. Thank you to Mike. Thank you to everybody watching and listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. If you're listening, um, Chad, Chip Kelly, speaking of guys where it was really good at first. and okay. then it off. Too late Thank to show you, Kevin Cole for joining us. So again, Kevin struck out on his own and you want to join his Substack? I have, so you want to also. It's unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Lots of good stuff, analysis of every game that he runs Sunday night. He's faster at it than I am, even faster than Mike, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I only change a sentence though when the one team like like the Jacksonville Chargers game, I'm like, uh, Jacksonville wins, you know. <laughs> so I don't really have to do as much as much rewriting as you do. I'm sure you had that whole thing written up and you were like, what the hell is going on here? But so yeah. And everybody, uh, please come on the Football Outsiders Discord to talk about this weekend's games with us. You'll find the URL below the show. And have a great weekend. Everybody enjoy the divisional round, except Greg Roman, and we'll be back on Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So long. Thanks for having me, guys.